You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. Hello, Michael. Andre. So, <laughs> I guess if you were tuning in two weeks ago, we did, a, I guess, a bit of a recap, but we didn't really spend a lot of time talking about the trip. We sort of talked about the um, the takeaways from the trip, the fringe stuff. Like which, spent- I, which I think is is, is a lot of, uh, of, of what you want, right? I mean, uh, look, um, if you're talking about Italy, you're talking about Montefalco. I've been there a few times. It's a city on a, on a hill. Um, everything in Italy is up. Even when you go down, it's up. Uh, it feels like up. Uh, so, um, like the, the wineries are great. I love, I love visiting the places, but it's the takeaways that I think are, are what you want to bring home. Like, I mean, you've got the memories of, of what you did, uh, but it's those takeaways, those, you know, will I be, will I be recommending people go to Umbria, Sagrantino? Um, I sorry, Montevalco. Absolutely. Yeah. But what I, the takeaway is when I, when I come home, am I telling people to avoid, a certain wine or drink a certain wine and i think those are the takeaways that we sh- we should be as wine writers be bringing back um i don't want to make people feel you know the, the problem with social media has always been any is that people are living better lives than you right and that you look at that and you go oh wow he gets to do this he gets to do that um and I, and and look i I understand that it's a neat little process that we get to do that, but to, to be immersed in that world and be tasting those wines, and it's not about look what I get to do; it's about here's what I can what I can help when I get back. Um, and and so when people you know email me or phone me or anything like that, and they go, you know what, I got a chance to try this uh, this Montefalco Rosso. Should I should I be buying it? I can consult some notes or I can give them a general idea of whether a Rosso is going to be in their Ballywick or not. Um, and that's, that's, that's the way I take my, my, my job. I think that's great. I, I mean, the thing for me when I do the, the wine travel, I think it's very much the same thing that you said. I'm going to just say it a little bit differently. Is um, I've been very fortunate to travel to the big cities. Like I've done Chicago. I've done New York. I've done Paris. And it's just like when I travel – I'm looking for a more authentic, off the beaten path experience, and and for a lot of reasons. Like one, once you get out of those big cities, your dollar tends to go a little bit farther. I mean, two, especially when you're in Europe, in every part of Europe that I've experienced so far, you're seeing stuff that you can't see back home. Yeah. it's all very historic, just because Europe's such an old continent compared to North America. You can even see bullet holes and things. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like third off, it's just like I don't know. It's 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 just something about like seeing how other people live and having that that innate curiosity so like i love when we get a chance to visit places that um you know never in a million years would a typical tourist put on their top choice like we're not talking about disneyland here so you had a chance in france to visit uh the loire valley Mm -hmm. which is a massive valley and the more i talk to you the more i talk to people who travel there i I just i completely forget about how massive it is because of how much ground there is to travel uh the languedoc which um I'm excited to hear what your takeaway was because that was the last place I visited before the world ended. So that was in uh, November of 2019, October of 2019 that I was there. And you still feel fine. Yeah, I still feel fine. I mean, maybe we're in the bad place. Yeah. Uh, Roussillon, which I'll be honest, is a region I'm not super familiar with. And uh, I just opened up a bottle that you were kind enough to bring. Was this from your trip? This is. This is actually. You brought wine back with you? I did bring wine back. You brought wine back with you. I did. 
You brought wine back yeah, with you. Yeah, I How like, many bottles did you bring back with you? I, I had six. Oh, good for you. This was, I had a bigger suitcase this time, obviously being away for a month. You had, for to, a pack, month. You had, uh, to, pack. You had to pack like a whole like 14 pairs of clean underwear so you could go two days out of each one. Right? Or something like that. Yeah, let's go with that. Um, but I also had to, um, um, uh, you know, pack for two seasons. Right, as I arrived, kind of springish, and I ended up in summerish. So Loire is a little further north. You know, it was spring in the Loire. Long pants, long shirts, coats. Uh, by the time I got to uh, the uh, the Long Dock and Roussillon, I was in shorts, uh, t-shirts. Um, well, okay, you know, well, and, and and had a coat just because you may be on a mountaintop. And it might get a little chilly. The last region you visited was Provence, yes. Bandol, which is another thing where you and I both learned um, that Provence is a lot bigger than I think you and I Provence, realized. Provence was the probably one of the bigger eye openers to me. All right, so let's go uh, region by region by region here because okay. I did the Loire Valley last summer. Yep, um, on your own. With uh, well, with Guillaume and yeah, yeah like yeah, it was but, it was not a press trip, yeah. so it was a little bit more relaxed. It was vacation, but I hit up producers that I was looking for. I was based in, oh man, I'm well, having th- a this, this I'm time, having a brain fart. I think you were you were based in the same city. City was a beautiful castle up on the top of a hill. Blois, nope. Okay, then no. <laughs> the, the, but I hate to tell you, there's castles in every town. Like every town has its own castle. Some are big. Saumur. Some are fun. I was I was in. Oh, Saumur. you're in Saumur. No, and, I, haven't, uh, I haven't been to Saumur yet. I'm hoping that's what's next year's uh, trip, and I hope they bring me on that one because I'm a big fan of Cabernet Franc. But that's it. I was looking for Cabernet Franc. I was looking for um, for inspiration, and my takeaway from that trip, as we mentioned on the podcast, was uh, Ontario. I think is making uh, grape for grape better version of Cabernet Franc than many places in Saumur. So I I found, so starting in the Loire, obviously, I did find a great little hidey hole for Cabernet Franc. And it is Saumur Pays Notre Dame. Holy God, uh, this is just a little gem of a place. From what I understand, uh, they have very few producers. Nobody could really, even the people from the region could give me the exact amount of hectares that it is. Um, it's small. It's, uh, but what they're doing there is amazing. We will never see any of their wines. I've got two of them coming up on the video series. One from La Palen, uh, and another is going to be from, um, I can't remember That's offhand, fine. but La Palen was the first I ever tried. Uh, we were at a dinner in a in a wine bar, and somebody brought this over, and they said, ah, oh, we tried this. I think it's pretty good. And I was like, wow, this is really good. Ended up two bottles of it ended up on our table. It was that good. Everybody was was really enjoying that wine. And then the next day, there was uh, one of those mass tastings, and one of the places that I gravitated towards was um, uh, Sumar Sumer Pay Notre Dame. They had six producers there, and uh, every one of them – was really good. Well, give me a broad tasting note. What made the wine so special? It, it was that um, the, the the wine still ha- retained fruit. You know, we always worry when I taste Loire that it's going to be a lot of that herbal, herbaceous, yeah, green that's, pepper that's note. that's usually the case. That, that thankfully, Ontario has shied away from in, since probably 2002, years ago. Oh, for I, sure. Oh, I'd say it's been weaning, been weaning off slowly because like, I started doing this since 2010 and i still remember yeah see see 2000 2002 i remember tasting some in it and i was like uh, uh but it was something we always we always had and um 
and, and we have slowly weaned off of it, and I think the Loire Valley is starting to do that. There was not uh, even a touch of it in in Pays Notre Dame. It was just gone. It was just all lush fruit. It was all just you know uh, you know notes of tobacco. There was nothing that I could say was herbaceous to that wine. It was just everything I wanted uh, in a bottle of Cabernet Franc. Uh, so I was I was thrilled uh, with that. So just to keep this um, moving along, because we've got four regions to go through, uh, how was the food in the Loire? Any any like takeaways? Anything that stood out? So anything we got that surprised you, you? You know, we got fish, which I, I'm a big fish fan, so I, I love I love fish. But nothing really stood out to me in in the Loire Valley. Um, we we you know we had we had you know decent decent food pretty much most places. Uh, we had we had one night where I, there was some grumblings about some of the the aspects of what we were told and what we ended up getting. Um, so it wasn't just you; it was other people on the yeah. trip. Okay. Oh yeah, so there was a bunch of people on that. We don't need to dwell on that. But, but I mean, you know, um, you know, the Loire, the Loire came through in 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 a lot of ways, and and um, I like those mass tastings. Uh, I think you and I talked not too uh, not too long ago when we were preparing for this. We do a we do a brief talk and then one of us goes shut up this is good podcast material yeah so um i was telling you my philosophy of of tasting which i which i did basically all through the uh the the loire uh, the Languedoc and roussillon which was uh they do this morning tasting from like nine to twelve where they have all the wines on tables and you can go off to a master class if you want for an hour um, and, and it's a specific master class about whatever. Um, I did go to one of them, uh, in, uh, in Languedoc about, uh, Pique Saint-Loup, which yeah. I thought was, which I thought was an interesting little, uh, little sub app. Yeah. Um, but, um, for the most part, I stuck around and tasted all the wines cause I can learn more from tasting, 50 wines from a region than I can from having somebody give me six and tell me what they want to tell me. Uh, and I, and I noticed that, uh, through this, this trip. So there was mornings that I tasted 150, 200. Finally, there was one in the, in the long dock that I just couldn't get through the 350 wines. So I just did not taste the AOP long dock wines because there was like 150 of those, but I tasted all the small apps and the rosés and the, oh, did and the you, whites. Okay. So we've moved, we've seamlessly moved to Langdoc. Did you, um, did you find any sub appellations that, that really spoke to you? Well, there was Peak Saint Lou, which I, yeah. which I thought was, was really a wonderful, uh, a sub region. Um, learned a lot about it. It's very high. It's, it's, it's one of the most, uh, high, uh, I think it's like 400 meters above sea level, you know, cool before it was cool to be cool. You know what I mean? Um, I remember talking to, uh, I'm going to sneak back into Italy for a moment, but I remember talking to a, a winemaker in, uh, in Tuscany who had his, uh, vineyard, I think he said it was like 450 to 500 meters above sea level, which was like one of the highest peaks in Tuscany. And when he bought the vineyard, everybody thought he was crazy. And his winemaker said, don't tell anybody. Tell them you are like, you know, 480, you know, 470. Don't tell them you're 500 meters because, you know, they'll think you're making underripe wines. Now he looks brilliant because, you know, that's, you know, he's got his vineyards at 500 and he's, you know, beating the trend, so to speak. He's making fresh wines that aren't overcooked. And mitigating 
climate change and, and, in the and, process. And the same thing was in Montefalco where they had uh, high vineyards, uh, but they've had their vineyards for, you know, since the 1300s. Yeah. So they've had to take, you know, 700 years of of a beating of people going, ah, you're making underripe wines to now. Oh, only 700 years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to, to now where you're like, they're like, uh, yeah, we're making good wine here because, you know, we have high vineyards and you're stuck in the, you know. You probably fifty you, meters above sea level and, and cooking your wine. You probably won't be surprised at the next question, or you'll at least know why I'm asking you the next question. Did you taste the wines in Limu? Uh, you know where I'm going with this. Uh, you know what? Wait, yes, I did. There was a, a Limu tasting. Yes, go ahead. Did you find the Chardonnay? So uh, there was <laughs> oh there was a full table of Chardonnay at one point. And uh, I think I sent you a video. Uh, you did. Of that. I was actually it, it. It warmed the cockles of my heart until I turned the audio on and realized you were making fun of me. Correct. That's the, yes. Uh, I was taking one for the team on that. <laughs> um, the Chardonnays did nothing. Um, you like to say that uh, that there are certain Chardonnays that tickle a certain area of your body. Yeah. Let's 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 go with the generic and says it gives me the fizz. But um, there was very little that, that that gave me the fizz from Limu. Though I uh, what I really liked was their bubbles. Oh God, they make yeah, they fantastic. make really good bubbles for really cheap prices. And uh, you know, LCBO should be looking all over that place. Uh, there's there's like Blanquette de Limou, oui. which is which is the next level Limou, oui. uh, and then you have uh, just straight Limou, which I, I I like. I was I really liked straight Limou, and then when you got the Blanquette, it was like boom, next level sparkling wine. And yes, that is mostly Chardonnay from what I, but there is some Chenin that they throw in there as well. Uh, but that's, I mean, that, heaven, that's heaven next forbid, level. two like two two grapes that can handle both warm and cool climate yeah. like very well. Oh my god! Like heaven forbid you blend them together to make a killer sparkling. But wine. yeah, that blan- <laughs> that blanquette stuff was just you know it's stuff that that's that's next level. All right, all right. Uh, where were you based in uh, Languedoc? So Languedoc, we were in uh, Narbonne. Narbonne, okay, beautiful city. So yeah, really really beautiful city. Um, didn't get to see a lot of the city because we're yeah, always too busy. You know, you'd walk through the city, which is nice. We walked to the castle okay. uh, for our tasting, and it's it's so different when you're you know, you know, we go to tastings here in Ontario at Roy Thompson Hall. Uh, we go to you know certain restaurants, the that Rom, do the Rom. Yeah, I mean, tasting. there's cool places we can go to taste. But you know, when you're standing in an 11th century, you know, castle. It's a it's a different experience. You know, you're going to the original bathroom. Um, no, but uh, <laughs> thankfully, you know, which, which is basically a pod that you'd have to throw out the window. Yeah, no, we understand what a medieval bathroom is. Michael. So, um, but it's it's really beautiful to be in these in these places, and it's and it's hard not to you know look out the window and realize that you know I'm not in Kansas anymore. I'm, I'm happy that I'm happy that you had that moment. I mean, it, it's it's one of the things about like the type of travel and work that we do is, um, like the, the travel is definitely a perk. Yeah, but it is still work. Like I remember on my trip to Chile, and you'll give me sympathy on this. People listening to the podcast won't give me sympathy. Is one night where we got so far behind schedule. We were still tasting wines at 11 p.m. at night, and it's yeah, just that's like a, that's a tough one. I just want to be in my bed, but I know I'm on the dime of wines of Chile. Yep. I'm on the dimes of wines of Languedoc. Like we're there to gather content for us to share with our audience. Correct. So like you're you're at the at the the beck and call of the people who are there for you, but like to have those moments where 
I did have to check myself before I wrecked myself to be able to look out the window and just be like, okay, I am in Chile doing this tasting. Yeah. This is not something a lot of people get to do. We're experiencing something. You're at a barbecue or whatever. You, yeah. I, I know that most of the times I probably pack my pen into my pocket and never take it out at, a, at the dinners. Um, just, you know, I'm on all day and then at the dinners, you just taste, you, you take the you, you take the pictures, you take the, 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 the bottles, pictures of bottles, pictures of food, but I, I really don't pull out the pen. I don't write notes. I figure this is the time to just kind of enjoy what what you what you get out of out of that. And and they go late. They you know we you know I here I eat between six and seven thirty sometimes. Okay. Um, you know, when you're sitting down in, you know, I, I mean, I'm on the European, month. I'm on the European clock. We, yeah. we eat at nine like eight or nine in, in this house. Correct. You know, um, you used to eat around eight. Um, but you know, when you're in bed by nine, you know, it's, yeah, that's, right. it's that's hard to do. So, <laughs> oh, so, so let's keep moving this, um, so moving, right now, moving this along. We, we, we've got, we've got a glass of a wine that you brought back with us, which is a, a Roussillon. I actually know. Very little about Roussillon as a region. Is this adjacent to Languedoc, or is this yes? Part yeah, of it's just it's just like literally around the corner, and uh, where we were stationed was a, a city called Perpignan, uh, which is uh, your French is getting better. I'm impressed. Which is very. Cl- I do one in a video for you uh, while I'm in France. I do speak a little French, so we'll see ah, if you like that. Magnifique. So, um, uh, so it's literally just around the bend, um, and but Perpignan is very close to Spain, and it's part. It's, it was part, is part, seems like it's part of the Catalan. Um, so you get a lot of really strange architecture down there. You you see a lot of French, you see as many Catalan flags as you do um, French flags. Um, people speak Catalan when, when they're there. I don't understand it for the life of me, but I was do told about it. Do you understand Spanish? Uh, no. So how would you know the difference? But it doesn't sound like, you know, it doesn't sound like anything that, even resonates to me, yeah. um, and it's it really is uh, Perpignan is really cross culture, like totally, um, and it's it's. But it was a fun little little city. We got to walk around it a little bit. We uh, we would do it. We did our tasting in the in the Congress Hall, which was nothing to write home about. It's not like we were going to a, a castle or anything this time. Um, and they only did two mass tastings. The you did the right side and the left side. Basically, is is how they broke it down. Okay, so Rusio, I'm tasting this wine. Let me um, let, let let's do a bit of a, a, a mini stump the chump here. Okay, because um, I actually have no idea what they what they grow. This could be indigenous uh, grape. Well, I guess we're talking about France, so most of those grapes are indigenous. Indigenous, yeah. Um, it's rich and concentrated. It's very like purpley, like plum, like almost pushing into like. Concord, uh, when it first opened, it had like a vanilla note, which would say more wood on it, but that seems to have blown off and integrated very, very quickly. Uh, we're close to Languedoc. I'm guessing that this is like a Grenache, Syrah, Mourvedre, like in, in those. Is this GSM, all three? Yep. Got the GSM. Yep. It's, it's, I don't remember the percentages. I loved this wine, though. It's it's um This is the flagship wine for this winery, like it is the top tier. Yeah, it's it's low in acid, but I don't mind that. Like it's it's definitely balanced. Well it's it's got some nice balance. The tannins are not off the chart in any way, shape, or form. They're there, but they're silky smooth. Um you know, this is a twenty twenty. Yep. Uh great vintage uh for them. 
Uh, it just, it it's just, you know, a, a wine that I just, I was one of those ones that I fell in love with as I was a, an outdoor tasting. Granted, the sun was beaten down, but we were on up. You know, what we temperatures were, were, were it while you were well? There? We were looking at uh, between twenty three and twenty nine, nice. so not bad. Um, but there was like cool breezes because you were in the in the hills, yep. right? So you get a lot of that. Were you uh, singing? The were they alive? Yeah, no, they, alive? no, they were not alive. Um, but this was one of those wines that I was like, wow, that's that's really that's really great. So this is the twenty twenty Domaine Boudo. Côte du Roussillon Village, um, Pat- labeled Patrimoine, Patrimoine, yeah, uh, which means ancestry. Yeah, um, what does this cost in France? See, you know, that's the kind of thing I don't ask. You know, I appreciate, I appreciate. So you did not. So this was given to you. This was gifted to you. Then. It was. I did a video on it. You will see that coming up. Um, I want to say it's twenty euros at the winery. 19, that's not bad. So we're euros. looking at like with the exchange right now, like a, a thirty dollar. Like twenty eight dollars. Like it's not going to break the bank. I don't. I don't think. I know you're going to look it up right now. I'm looking it up right now, just just because I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, that's no, the no. other thing too is is like when we talk about like pricing. Be careful. Bull- they have a lot of. They have a lot. They're one of those wineries that have a lot of labels that look exactly the same. You've got to actually go in somewhere and find Patrimoine. Oh, this is cool. So they have they have their wines split up into different sections. Yep. So Les Vins Signature, so yep. signature wines, which yep. I'm guessing is one of their upper tiers. Yep. Uh, Les Vins Plaisir, so just, just pleasure drink wines, wines, which is great. Uh, Les Vins des Copains, so wines to share with friends. Vins. Les Vins du Naturel, okay, so they're mucking around with the natural wine. Okay, so yeah, they were. Uh, Patrimoine, I the believe, label I, doesn't quite match up. Well, uh, it's there somewhere. I remember looking it up. So you you got to look at. Um, no, that's not the one. Okay. It'll look like that. You'll either have to go into their shop or their boutique. It's a very strange. <laughs> it's a strange website where you have to, you know, just hit on the right moment to, to get it. But I mean, that, that's one of the things I love about uh, like traveling to France is that there's enough. Uh, <laughs> they don't really need websites. Like, there's a ton ton of wineries I visited that, like from the Guide Hachette that we've talked about in the past, that uh, you know doesn't. Like, there's no website, there's no Facebook page, there's no social media. A lot of but, these wineries just exist. They have they have one, but it's like a page, and that's it. It's just one page. Um, I think COVID probably got them to get someplace to buy the wine. So most of them have a <laughs> shop now, um, even if it's just one page. Yeah, but they have a they have an online shop, and and that you know to their credit, that's a that's a step in the right direction. But um, this was one of these wines that I really enjoyed. Yeah, I'm really enjoying this as well. Like, this is really nice, rich, and concentrated. I know this is the sort of wife that uh, my wife Anya really, really enjoys. Like, she likes warm climate, uh, Cabernet, warm climate. Just like she likes that concentration in the fruit. Uh, but like, it's dry. Um, even I, I know I commented on the acids being lower. The good news is like the palate isn't hitting hard with no. overripe fruit. Like, this is ripe but not overripe. This is this is almost almost to the point of being juicy. Like, if you really get a good aeration going on the palate. You get that nice black cherry. You get a little bit of strawberry. You mentioned a vanilla note. It, it was kinda, on the nose, but it blew off. It did. Um, but there's a there's a certain element of something. I don't want to say spicy because it's not spicy. It's not spicy in the way that you you think of it being spicy. Um, but it is uh, uh, like a like gentle. 
I'm, I'm like like a cinnamon cardamom uh, thing. I was going hit, on. like I hit a black pepper on that. Like, like, that's little, why I yeah. guess Syrah, but like it, it's not overbearing. Like no. it, everything about this is just like really well integrated. Yeah. Like it's. You can tell that the Grenache is probably, you know, uh, of higher... Oh, definitely. Um, because it's got that nice raspberry note that just, you know... And I, I think it is miss... I don't want to say missing, but it's just like it's... It's more like a square on my palate than a circle. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a donut. It's, no. It really, it really is filling a lot of gaps here. All right, all right. Um... Uh, you went to Provence, and this is one thing where I think when you and I were talking about your trip to Provence, we learned that... Provence is a lot bigger than you realize and not just one small little entity. So when I pictured Provence, I always pictured beaches. I okay. pictured, you know, you know, pools, seaside, bikinis, uh, people drinking rosé all the time, oh, you know, that kind of thing going on. Basically, you were picturing the um, the Elton John, I'm Still Standing music video. Kind of, kind of, you know, that's the, you know, the Côte d'Azur, you know, all that kind of beautiful, the beautiful people go to Provence kind of thing. Okay. Um, and everybody said to me, oh, I love Provence, it's so beautiful, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not taking that away. I don't take, you know, the beauty away from Provence. But it was not at all what I thought it was. It was not all beaches. It was not all sitting by the seaside. It wasn't all sand and, and rosé. Um, look, I did taste some really great rosé while I was there. Um, but I also noticed that it's a lot of hills and a lot of, you know. Were those hills alive? With the sound of music, my okay. friend. But, you know, roads that were the scariest thing to drive on because there's, you know, they're. As at one point I said to somebody, these roads were not made for cars. And they're like, no, they were not. Yeah. Right? Um, but I still don't know how the horse and buggy would have gone through because in a, a car, lot at least slower. At least in a car, you can back up, you know, three, you know, three houses and pull into the driveway. Like some of these things had ditches on the side. And you're like, I hope to God a car doesn't come at us. Okay. Um, so how the buses got through, good luck to them. But. But what a beautiful countryside, and where I really fell in love with uh, with the region was Bondals. Uh, I concentrated uh, some time, and um, it was the, the, as some people may know, I, I I inventory wine cellars, and one of the the bottles or some of the bottles that I see are from Bondol, B A N D O L, yep. and I always wondered what the heck this is, right? And it really is. An area that is in Provence, and Provence is known for rosé. That is what Provence is known for. Yes. Bondal is basically where the red wines go. Like, that's that's their whole thing. It's like 80% red wine there, not rosé. Interesting. And, you know, they make white and they make rosé. It's at most 20% of their production. It is the home of Mouvedre, which is... Strange because Mouvedre is not a a typical uh, grape that you hang your hat on, and that's what they do. Um, the 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 blend has to be uh, a minimum fifty percent uh, Mouvedre. Some of them are a lot more. Uh, and I know in the last podcast we talked about you know what makes reserve single vineyard or um, reserve, and here is where you're going to find. Uh, especially at a winery called Domaine Tompier, which is the most famous vineyard in Bondal. Started in 1834. Phylloxera pretty much took it out. 
then they started again in the 30s. Um, they make three different single vineyard Bondal reds uh, with with percentage of Mouvedre from 55 to 95%, depending on which vineyard they're using. And it really is aspiring to see what they're doing with with single vineyard, same grape. All right. Um, I mean, it's the cool thing about discovering things like that on that on that trip is because this isn't as well known as the more, I put this in air quotes, prestigious regions in France. I'm guessing the wines are a little more affordable than Grand Cru Bordeaux or Grand Cru. They're more affordable, Burgundy. but they but they are they are compared a lot to to Bordeaux. But what are you looking at spending for some of these wines? Like 100 euros, 200 euros? No, I think you're looking at about 50, 50 to 60 euros. Okay, so you're getting a bargain if yeah. you're dealing with, with wines that can compete with like Chateau Nifty Pop, things but, like that. But you're looking at some... And the other the other interesting part is uh, I spoke to uh, the owner of Chateau Pibernon. And uh, one of the most interesting quotes I have ever heard from any winemaker is the following. Um, they try to... They, no, they don't try. When I asked them what the blend was on the wines, because we tried the 18, the 19, and the 20, he said they're the same. He said the only re- the, the reason they do that is because to really see vintage variation, you have to keep your blend the same. Interesting. And I'm thinking, wow, that's, that is really interesting because most people try to mitigate vintage variation by, you know... It's, a it's little not bit just more of this. It's, it's not just that, but vintage, vintage, vintage variation when you're dealing with blended varieties uh, will innately give you better quality of certain varieties in, in a given vintage, right? So, I mean, it's an interesting experiment on his part, but I wonder, like, do you think the quality of the wine varied from vintage to vintage, or was it just a different flavor profile because of this? So, it was interesting because he told me the difference in the vintages. The 18 was a really tough vintage, 19 was a great vintage, 20 was uh, what he called an armchair vintage, obviously a really easy vintage for them. Uh, the 19 Sean, the 18 was not very good. He didn't give me the quotes until after we had tasted. Right and on. my and my notes were that the 18 seemed a little bit thin, lean, not so great. The 19, I was like, this is spectacular wine. And then the 20 was, you know, juicy and, and supple and, and, and you're really easy on the palate and really, really nice wine to drink. But I, I, I gravitated more towards the 19. And, and then when he told me all these quotes about what the vintages were like, I was like, yeah, you could really see it in the bottle. And it just shows, you know, the difference between somebody who's who's confident in their wines and confident in their... Um, well, the process, for one. The process, but they're confident in their customer to realize that they're going to know what vintage variation is. It's amazing how often, and you know I do wine tours here, how people say to me, oh, I tried this wine a few years ago from, you know, Jackson Triggs yeah. or from Cave Spring, and they go, oh, it's, it's, it's so different. It's not the same wine anymore. Well, no, it's, it's, it's not the same wine anymore. That's called vintage variation. And uh, the thing is, it's, it should be a good thing because a good winemaker plays to the strengths of the vintages. Correct. Right? Like, we're, like we're, we, in Ontario, we, we're dealing with, I think the past four years is a very interesting indication of like what's on the market. 19, 20. tough year. 20, amazing year. year. 21, even more challenging than 19. And 22, a more average year, but short crop thanks to winter. Yeah. But like, you're getting fantastic wines from all four of these years from Ontario with winemakers playing to the strengths of the vintages. Correct. And that's and that's where, where I find you know it, it interesting. But I think it's also why 
we saw see or we lose uh, people to places like Chile, California. Yeah, because uh, there's a lack of variation for entry level, and for, frankly, for, the growing con- like the growing conditions are different. Growing conditions are different. Easier and, and until different. until we stop trying to just, and I'm bringing it back to Ontario now. No, let's uh, see that. Um, until we can teach our consumers about vintage variation, and we we start hammering that home, well, I I I think we'll stop losing people to Chile. California, Argentina. I don't know if we're losing people to those to those places, but I mean that's another podcast for another time. Is just I I think that we're dealing with a situation, and I've seen it in in my generation with millennials that it's just that continuation of Ontario doesn't make good wine being passed down from their baby boomer parents. But I mean that's but that, a, but that's, that's a separate why, podcast but, for a separate. But that is why, time. if you think about it, is because nobody understood uh, vintage variation. I don't think it's, I don't think it's just vintage variation. I think it's just a lack of understanding of how the wine industry works as a whole. Could be, but it's also but it's, anyway, it's, it's, it, all, it's also a show, and I'll just and I'll end it here for my part. Yeah, it also shows why California owns our market. It's because there's very little vintage variation in California. You can pick up a bottle of Apothic Red or Coca-Cola. Joel Gott, Coca Cola, or any of those other ones, and you're going to get the exact same wine every single time that you um, open that bottle. Whereas you know, you can open a bottle of uh, Vineland Cab Franc, and there's going to be some difference every time you open it up. All right, all right. Let's let's wrap this up on a high note. You told me to ask you about food. Oh yeah. So you always ask me what kind of food choices I make. Yeah, because I assume you just eat like a picky twelve year old ketchup and chicken fingers. I, I I picture that's how you eat when you travel. And and I hate to admit it, it was the one thing that I noticed in most restaurants. Uh, within Provence, Languedoc, but Provence especially, you can tell that a lot of the places are gearing towards tourists. Okay. Um, and they want the tourist dollars because you don't see, you know, uh, the frog legs. You don't see what you would assume are French foods. The one thing that I saw on every single menu besides fish, because you're by the seaside, was a hamburger. And there was at least two versions of a hamburger on every single menu. I mean, I guess, I don't know. I, I live for burgers. I so love hamburgers. I. And, and so I was ordering a burger all the time. Of course you were. You were not ordering the croque monsieur and no. the other French dishes that are maybe a little bit more up your up your speed. Like, you were not ordering the steak frit. You were ordering... You're not ordering steak tartare. You're not ordering escargot. You're ordering. A I burger. eat steak tartare. Uh, I will have steak frites, but why not a burger and frites? I'm all over it. I was all over it, and I and I had one just for you, just in your honor. It was a uh, a burger with Comte. So Fantastic. and 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 I was like, this is for Andre. Cheers to you, Andre, as I'm shoving that in my mouth. Well, no idea what we're going to be talking about in the next podcast because we're really just kind of getting through a busy season traveling, but I think this was a great roundup. So the takeaways from this podcast are Bandol, good. Bandol, red, red. good. Red, yeah. Um, Roussillon, also good and a bit surprising, and it's great that we had this to taste. Uh, we did open up a bottle of Hampton water that we didn't talk about on the podcast to match it with the Langdock part yeah, of the trip. just so that we got in that mood. It's, it's good. You'll have to pay attention for Michael's Rosé report to see what he thinks about that. Um, I'm Andre Prue from underwinereview.ca. 
Check out the show notes. Support us on patreon.com slash two guys talking wine. All the links are going to be there. Andre, you mentioned some things that are coming up in uh, future podcasts. I know I have lined up a couple of Italian interviews to try and get you educated. more educated and up to date on uh, on Italy. So one is going to be the Veneto with Pra, and another one is going to be uh, with um, uh, Boccale for Montefalco. I'm Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com Take or TheGrapeGuy.com. Oh, that's right. Uh, or Michael Pincus on Facebook, but you the great guy shorter. on... Yeah, good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. Two Guys Talking Wine is produced by Jim Ray, Adam Duran, and Ken Little.